Let's turn tonight to the book of Ephesians, and we'll go back to chapter 6 as we look at this next part in our series on Bless This Home, asking God to help us as we seek to build lives and families on His Word. And we covered half of this passage or half of this verse last week, and so we're going to go back here to Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4 tonight. And get the second half of this idea of the balance of godly parenting. There's some things in life that the longer you go on in them, the greater the perspective is of, uh, that, that you see not only of what you're doing, but what of others do. Um, you know, when you're, when you're a kid and you're a teen and even into your college years, Sometimes you don't always understand the way your parents see things or the way your parents, um, you know, what, they, what their life experience brings. I understand that. I've been there. Um, I think one of my favorite signs I ever saw as a youth pastor, we were down in Jacksonville, Florida on a mission trip and went to a sub shop and there was a sign on the wall and it said, teenagers, run away from home now while you still know everything. <laughs> okay, so at some point in your life, you, you realize there's some things, there's some perspective, Right? And I think that, that one of those things um, is parenting. The further you, you get into it, the more you realize uh, you have to learn. That's true of a lot of things, not just in our, our physical, you know, earthly lives, but in our spiritual lives. The perspective we gain, the further we go, and, and we realize some of the, the mistakes we make or the, maybe the judgments we make on other people before we truly understood the full picture. But thankfully... Our God never fails to give us grace. He never fails to give us grace to overcome our sin. He never fails to give us grace um, to draw us back to himself. And with his gracious help, he never fails to give us the the power to correct our path and to live in a way that pleases him. And what we'll see tonight again is what we saw last week is that godly parenting requires submission to the Lord and this active evaluation of our parental activities in the light of his word. And, and so let's look at Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4, and then we'll kind of we'll recover where we were from last week, and then we'll dive into what we have for the rest of this evening. Paul says, And you, fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. So, Paul has is, is been working his way in Ephesians 5 through the Christian life and how we're to live uh, in, in response to God and his word and how we're to live as Christians and how we're expected to, to walk with him and, and submit ourselves not only to him, but to other Christians around us, other people around us. That is what true Christ-like character does. It, it submits ourselves to the needs of other people, and, and we minister to them. And, and then out of that, Paul begins to build the case for what a godly home looks like. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands, as unto the Lord. And then husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. And, and we, we unpacked those things in a couple of weeks. And then, and then we got into children, obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right, and talks about honoring your father and mother. 
And then you get to this idea of, of parents and what parents are supposed to do. And, now, and, and from here, by the way, he goes on into other relationships that we have in our lives and how those things are supposed to reflect the Word of God. We're not going to go into all of those things because we're talking about the home. But uh, just know this is, this is a lot like what, what Paul does in the book of Colossians chapter 3 as well. And what we looked at last time, we saw there are two commands given in this verse. The first one had to do with this idea of what, what we called the pitfall of provocation. And as Christians, as we submit to God and do the things the way God wants us to do them, we have to understand there are some warnings that God gives us. And when God blesses a couple with a child or with children, he has laid on that couple an expectation. This is the expectation if you have a child that you are to follow the Lord in how you raise that child or any of those children that God has given you. That's the expectation from God. I told you last week, you never stop being a parent no matter how old your, your kids are. Now, your role as a parent may change, and it will change. It necessarily has to change, but you, you never cease to be, to be called of God to, to be a parent. And in so doing, we see the principle of submission that plays out in our lives as we submit ourselves to God and to raise our children for the Lord. So Paul gave this command, this negative command first, to, to not provoke our children to wrath. And the, the idea of that word provoke means to rouse someone to anger, to exasperate them. And, and Paul addresses fathers in particular, but both parents are, are expected to follow the things of God under a husband's leadership. And what it carries the idea of here that, that parents are to avoid doing is to, to it's just an idea of something over a long period of time that builds up into resentment that leads to outward hostility. And so we talked about how the natural will of a child, every child who's been born outside of one, okay, who is Jesus, but every human child that has been born has a sinful will, right? From the very beginning. Because if you remember Genesis chapter 3, there were no kids around yet, right? Every child has a sinful will that, that must be broken. And because children who are left to themselves will live in sin and in open rebellion. So as a godly parent, I am called to address this behavior in my child and the heart behind that behavior. It's not just attitude adjustment. It's not just behavior modification. We're seeking, with God's help, the transformation of our children's hearts. Now, at the same time, we have to be careful not to break the spirit of that child who, who, is, who is growing and, and, and seeking to you know, continue to learn. And so we have to be careful how we respond to our children. We have to be careful not to respond in anger. We'll talk more about that tonight. We have to realize, we have to understand that we must address sin, but show an attitude of godly love. And what I said last week is that provoking children to anger very easily happens when we as parents um, undertake manipulation of our, of our own children. That instead of seeking to conform our children to godliness, we seek to conform our children to whatever pattern of lifestyle makes my life easier. That's not raising our children to godliness. That's, I just want to make it through and then they can go on with their lives and I can go on with my life. That's not being a parent. And that's going to provoke our children to anger. 
They're going to figure these things out. Because our goal is, yes, they are going to have to learn to live in our lives. The children aren't the center of our homes. But at the end of the day, what we need to teach them is how to follow God. And I went through six different things last week that caused provocation in the lives of our children. Lack of true godly praise, um, inconsistent discipline, favoritism and comparisons, failure to sacrifice for our children, broken promises that paved the pathway to that, or verbal and physical abuse leading to provocation of our children. I'm not going to take the time to delve into each one of those that's on our website if you want to go back and, and listen to it. So that's the negative command. Do not provoke your children to anger, okay? What do we do instead? Well, that's the other side of the balance. The other side is this, that, that we place a preeminence on the godly training of our children. Paul says at the end of verse 4, but bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. And we'll take each one in turn. So first, bring them up in the training of the Lord. What Paul is talking about here is godly discipline in our homes. Having warned against provoking children to wrath, Paul now reinforces the balance with a positive command. And instead of doing things that will provoke our children, we are to do things God's way. So understand, what provokes children to wrath is when we live in our flesh and we parent from our own strength and not following what God has called us to do. So it's obvious then that God has expectations for us how to raise our children. And first says, Paul says there should be a focus on godly discipline. Um, this, this ver- the, the words you, may, you have here before you may say bring them up in the training of the Lord. Another way to translate that Greek word is this word discipline. And it, what it refers to, it refers to the systematic teaching of children that includes both training and discipline. In a godly home, you will find discipline. It's taught clearly in the scriptures. Let me give you two passages. Proverbs chapter 13, verse 24. He who spares his rod hates his son, but he who loves him disciplines him promptly. So it's very clear. Solomon writing in in Proverbs says, and then he says in Proverbs 22, verse 6, train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. Now this second verse talks about the entire scope and sequence. When it talks about training up a child, it's the entire scope and sequence of raising children, but but involved in that is this idea of discipline. It is the job of a parent to set the expectations, limits, and consequences in the life of a child. If you leave a child to do whatever he wants to do, he's going to do what he does best. And what does he do, do best? Sin. It is a godly parent's job then to show our, their children the ways of God. And this includes this idea of consequences for sin or, or godly discipline. I know this is about to be every kid's favorite passage we're going to talk about now, okay? But from an early age, our kids have to learn there are consequences for sin. And this is a, you know, this is a, sometimes a debated topic about when do you teach kids about discipline or, or when do you teach kids about consequences for sin. As soon as they start putting the pieces together, you got to. Because the longer you take to institute that into your life, the harder it is. 
Sin gets a hold of our kids' hearts at a very early age because that's what they're born. They're born sinners. We all are born that way. And we fail as parents. We fail to be godly parents when we allow that sin to go unchecked. And if we do not teach our children there are consequences for sin, they will continue on in that sin believing that this gets me what I want. This is the way to to, to get what I want in life. We're not teaching the things of God. So we must initiate age-appropriate discipline as soon as children begin to put together the pieces of decision-making and that there are consequences from those decisions. And listen, that's different for every kid. Okay, some of you are, are, are moms and dads of multiple children, and you understand that each of your kids is a little bit different because that's the way God's made them. You know, in my life, that's typically been around the age of one and a half to two years old for our kids. They start to finally really put the pieces together. I mean, I can remember. I'm sorry, he's, you're in here, buddy, okay? Caleb, when he was getting about that age. I'm not going to give any specific illustrations, buddy, okay? But I remember when he was about that age, and he started to put the pieces together of, Dad said to do this. And you'd tell him to do something, and he would look at you, and he'd look at whatever it was he wanted to do, and he'd look back at you, and you could see the little, the little wheels, right, spinning. I really want to do that, but Dad said no. What am I going to do? And sometimes the choice was, okay, I'm going to listen to Dad. Other times the choice was, sometimes I'd look you right in the eyes, right, and just, you ever have a kid that did that, right? He said, don't touch that, don't do this, and they look right at you, right? What are they doing? They're going to find out what, what do you really, do you really mean it? Are you really going to discipline? And I remember when that happened in our lives. And in that moment, we had entered the next phase of our parenting calling by God. It was no longer just, you know, feed and change and clothe and soothe and, hey, we got to keep you going in life. Now it also includes an active training and discipline program, godly in a godly way. So when we discipline our children, when we help them understand their consequences for sin, what are some things we need to remember? I have several of these tonight. First, the first thing you need to remember when you discipline your children is never discipline your children in anger. I mean never. Discipline must always instead be motivated by love as we seek to teach our children what is right and what is wrong as God defines it. Disobeying your parents is a God-defined sin, right? Because the Bible says, children, obey your parents. So when they disobey, they have sinned. Therefore, I discipline my child because God says, this is what you were supposed to do and you didn't do it. And God says that sin has consequences, We do not discipline our children because he made my life difficult, because he inconvenienced me, he embarrassed me, or he hurt me or other people. Now, that perspective is important, okay? Because when your child sinned, it is possible he did one or all of those things, right? He may have embarrassed you. He may have inconvenienced your life. He may have hurt somebody. But we are not disciplining them because they did that. We're disciplining them, go back to, because they sinned. 
And there's a difference there. You say, well, maybe there's just a little, maybe, you, you know, maybe you're splitting hairs here. I think there's a difference. Because one means that we're, 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 we're reacting and retaliating. And the other means we're, we're showing that God says there are consequences for sin. When you discipline in anger, anger communicates a retaliatory response. You made me angry. I'm going to do something about it, right? Why do you think the Bible says be angry and sin not? Because our anger tends to, to be more often than not colored with our own sinful tendencies and our own sinful reactions. Anger prohibits you from exercising proper control in discipline. And if you are using corporal punishment to discipline your children, which is often effective in young children, you have to be in control. And if your child sins and they require discipline and you're angry, here's what I would tell you to do. You need to hold off from disciplining them until you have properly dealt with your own anger first and make sure you're on the right page with God. You say, well, I don't know if I, you know, how long that would be. You know what? There's nothing wrong with your child sitting in your room or their room waiting for you to do the right thing and deal with, you know, say, hey, I got I to gotta talk to God. I need to work through this in a biblical way. Because you need to prepare your own heart and self before you can discipline them. If we respond in sin, that doesn't honor God, and that can do physical, emotional, and great spiritual harm to our children. So the first thing to remember when we discipline our children is we never discipline in anger. Secondly, we always discipline appropriately. Always discipline appropriately. You have to think through, and this is a very practical one, but you have to think through what is appropriate for that child in their life and the stage of life they're in. I live this, again, because I have... I have a couple that are very young children, um, very, very young children, when they're just putting the pieces together. They need, they need immediate discipline because they can't hold on to, I did something five minutes ago, and now I'm, now I'm getting in trouble. You know, they just don't, they don't remember those things. So you have to be able to deal, it, uh, deal with it right away. As children's age, as children age, then you know, the, the, the discipline, the consequences you give to things may become more personalized. You know, perhaps you have a child who loves to read or to go outside or to do this or that. And so as a consequence, they lose those privileges that they're allowed to have in life because of their sin. Suspension of these activities in their life can be just as effective as any corporal punishment that you've given to them at whatever, depending on their age. Now, let me tell you something. If you do that, and we've done that in the lives of our kids, you know, you, this is a privilege that you have, and, and your consequences, you can't have that. Okay, be prepared to replace that with something else. Uh, be prepared to live with whatever it is you chose to be the consequences of, those, of that sin. I mean, that's, that's really what happens sometimes. That's really why we fail sometimes, because... Because we take away something from our kids, and then they drive us crazy the rest of the day. You know what? It's no big deal. And you've just undermined whatever it was you were trying to, to teach them through the consequence. So you have to be ready to, to live with whatever that, you have to live with that decision too. And what will come out of it. You know? So you know, some of you probably are really good at, 
at uh, taking some things away from your kids and you hand them a mop and a bucket and say, hey, here you go, right? You get to help mom clean this afternoon, you know? Because you were going to do it anyway and now you got extra people, right? I don't know, whatever it may be. Also, I think it's important to note there are some things that should never be used as consequences. I'm just going to share with you the, part, the heart of a pastor and a, and a former youth pastor. It, it, it broke my heart to hear a kid say, well, I got in trouble, so mom and dad said I couldn't come to youth group tonight. Hey, I, I, I got in trouble, so I, I couldn't go to church, I couldn't do this. You should never take the things of God away as punishment. That is not what God does. Um, that is not proper consequences for our sin. Take away things like a wana or a youth group or more, they, they don't help our children. You know what they, they don't help our children? They don't help our children become more godly. We're taking the reinforcement of godly principles we're trying to teach them out of their lives. We have to communicate to our children that that the things of God, okay, the word of God, time with God, um, the church of God, those are non-negotiable necessities you need in your life. That is something that we have to instill in our children through what we say and what we do. And when we take those things out of our li- their lives, we make them optional. We're not instilling that into them. We're telling them that, hey, you can just do kind of whatever you want. And so we need to make discipline appropriate. Third, no, we discipline, not, we, we do not discipline anger. We discipline appropriately. Third, we discipline consistently. How many of you who have who have had children, have children, um, been around kids. How many of you have learned that children are very smart, manipulative sinners? Anybody learned that? Okay. See some parents raising their hands. Okay. See some kids. You've learned that too. You're like, hey, I'm pretty good at that. Okay. Um, kids are manipulative. Kids are, they're, they're smart, right? They figure these things out. And if all you ever do is threaten it's not going to take long before they figure out that you're just threatening and you don't really mean what you say you mean. Um, how many of you have ever had a, a, a um, this happen to you? You know, you go to the store, you go to Kroger, you go to Walmart, you're standing in the checkout line, and uh, it can't be Walmart because there's never people there to check you out, but, you know, you're at, you're at Kroger. And the kid in front of you, they've decided that that Butterfinger is all that they need that day, Right? And they say, Mom, Mom, I want that Butterfinger. And what does Mom say? No, you can't have it. And you think, oh, that's good, you know. But it doesn't stop. It continues, right? Mom, I really, really want it. I really want it. And she says, no, you cannot have it. You need to stop. And you're thinking, oh, you better stop, right? It, depending on how you were raised, I mean, that's how I, I immediately go, oh, you better stop, okay? This is not going to end well. And it escalates, and it escalates, and it's getting louder, and it's getting, and you're thinking, listen, can I put the candy bar back for you? Because I just really, and at the end of the day, you look up, and mom says, fine, and she puts it on the conveyor belt, and you think, ooh, (laughs) that did not go the way I thought it was going to go. Those are vain, empty threats from a parent, right? If you don't stop, I'm going to do this. If you don't stop, I'm going to take away this. And they never do it. And kids know that. Kids know if you really mean what you say you mean or you don't. As your kids get older, they figure that out faster and faster. That child 
who is always threatened and nothing ever follows through or inconsistently it's followed through on, does not alter his behavior because he's usually in no real danger of being punished, being disciplined. That's a failure to parent in a biblical way. Do you realize that godly parenting does not require threats? If you parent in a biblical way, you do not need to threaten your children. Why? Because they never disobey? Oh, no, trust me, they do, okay? If you set a pattern of appropriate, consistent discipline, then when it's appropriate, you don't have to threaten, but you could issue a warning. And again, you say you're splitting hairs? No, there's a difference between a threat and a warning. A threat, a threat is, this is what will happen, but you don't really know if you're going to do it or not. A warning is, 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 um, has an attitude of love and consistency behind it that's already taken place. Hey, I'm warning you, this is what's going to happen. And if you've been consistent, if you've followed through with love, if you've been appropriate in those things, then, then there's going to be times you, you issue a warning, oh, hey, we straighten up and we're going to fly right and we're going to do what's right. Now, there's going to be times you issue a warning and guess what happens? They're going to do it anyway. And that's where the difference between a threat and a warning comes. If, you war- if you're threatening and threatening and you're not going to follow through, then it's just empty threats. If you're warning about something that's going to happen, then you have to follow through on it. And as children age and consequences take different forms, not only do we have to be consistent in carrying out discipline, but we need to be consistent to keep those consequences and disciplines consistent with one another. You don't issue Harder punishment on one child while issuing lighter on another for the same sin. Again, age appropriately. And then lastly, not only do we not discipline anger, we discipline appropriately and consistently. You need to cover discipline in the assurance of love. One of the things that we always do in our home, and I'm not holding our home for some model thing, I'm just telling you this is how this works out in, in our lives, is, is immediately following disciplining our children, we have an outward demonstration of affection. I give my kids a big hug. I tell them I love them and mean it. This is why we do this, because I love you. Because I want my children to know that I love them. You know what doesn't communicate love? Anger. Um, if you discipline in anger, and then you follow it up with, I love you, I love you, I love you, that's just guilt. You have to discipline in love that you can, so you can properly continue to show love. If we have given out punishment and discipline in a biblical manner, it is natural to follow that up with love. Why does God discipline Christians? Because he's kicking them out of heaven? Right, because he wants them to follow him and because he loves them, right? Hebrews talks about that in Hebrews chapter 12. For every son he loves, he disciplines And if done correctly and biblically, discipline will help inform our children about the things of God. 
And that leads us right into the second piece of what Paul says in this command. He says not only to, to, to bring them up in the discipline of the Lord, but bring them up in the admonition of the Lord. This idea of, of admonition is the idea of teaching our children what is right, of correcting them to think godly thoughts. It's the goal that couples with discipline. So when we discipline our children, we are administering to them appropriate consequences for sin because God says sin has consequences. And then we are instructing them in what is right. We are bringing them up in the admonition of the Lord to help them understand the biblical way of thinking. So the natural, unsaved person doesn't do that on their own. The natural man does not think the things of God. Right? They're foreign to him. As Christian parents, we're seeking to train our children in these things, the things of God. And you know what you're doing? You're evangelizing those children who do not know the Lord. And you're discipling those who've made professions of faith. Because that's what we're called to do, to evangelize and disciple our kids. We are not seeking behavior modification. We are seeking heart transformation. Behavior modification is, here's the list of rules, and you're going to follow them, right? And, and some people do really well with that, and other people don't, right? But uh, you go into something like the military, you will modify your behavior, right? Or it will not go well for you. Even there, you see the difference. There are people who leave the military, and they quit modifying their behavior. They go back to whatever it is they used to do. And there are people who really, really, really resonated with it, and it's like their lives have been transformed because they live that the rest of their life. As parents, you can, you can seek behavior modification. You can seek, hey, I just want you to make my life easier. I just want you to follow the rules. I just want you to do this. But that's not truly going to help your child know who God is. You need, we need to transform hearts. And we can't do that. We have, to, we have to depend on God to do that. So we go after the hearts of our kids. And we're going to talk about that next week, about going after the hearts of our children. So how do we do that within the scope of what Paul is talking about here? Well, first, we help them understand their sin and obedience in Bible words. My wife says this a lot. Um, it's something that, that, that she and I have talked about, and, and when we're, we, we try to, as much as we can, use in our lives. That we, we teach our children what God says about things. So when your kid um, comes home from whatever, or comes in, or, or comes out of their room, and they tell you something that's not true, you don't say, hey, that was a fib, Hey, that was, that was kind of a white lie. That was a, no, you say what? That was a lie. And this is what God says about lying. And you tell him. No, you, will not, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. Take on the Proverbs that, that, that talks about how, how God hates lying. You disobeyed. What does God say about this? And at the end, you drive back to this principle. You did this. God said this. You have sinned. You have committed a sin. That's an important word. That's an important theological thing we need to teach our children. 
Sin is an important Bible word that our children need to understand because sin brings consequences. I could tell you, as a parent, my kids, long before they knew what the word consequences meant, could tell you, sin brings consequences. One of them's back there going, yeah, I've heard that before, okay? And even though they're very little and they don't understand, they're still trying to figure out, what does this big word mean? I just know it means I'm getting, I'm getting a discipline here, you know? They understand that this is what God teaches us. This helps reinforce another important thing. It helps reinforce that discipline isn't your idea, your personal agenda, or your retribution. This is God's prescribed method for how we deal with sin. We deal with it through discipline. So first, help them understand sin and obedience in the way that Bible, the Bible describes it. Second, you should talk through right ways with your children to handle a sinful situation. When your kids do something that was wrong, they obviously sinned, and you are, you're working through the discipline, you're working through those things, you need to take the opportunity to talk about, hey, how should you have handled that situation? Because you can begin to work through them with them. They came to a point in their life, they came to a crossroads where they had to make a choice. Am I going to do what, I, what I've been told is right or what I know is right in this situation, or am I going to do what is wrong? Hey, we should have gone and we should have done And I've asked my kids, what should you have done, right, to help them understand those things? We talked recently, um, when we talked about God's expectation for children, how biblical obedience is to be done quickly, sweetly, and completely. And oftentimes, when our children disobey, there is a specific aspect of that that was violated. You know, perhaps it was not done quickly, it was not done sweetly, it wasn't done completely, it wasn't done all of the above. So discuss that with them. Help them work through how they can change next time and not have to experience the consequences of their sin. And again, this is why um, we do this. God is, God is a, a, a God of order, right? It's not just on a whim that we felt like disciplining. Hey, this is, this is why it happened. This is how it could not have happened. So we work them through those things and, and reinforce what they should have done. Third, We need to teach our children how to pray and seek God's forgiveness. If you're disciplining a child for sin and that child knows the Lord, they need to learn how to ask God's forgiveness of their sin so they may experience an unhindered relationship with him. If your child knows the Lord, it's also important to reinforce that just because you sinned doesn't mean that you're not saved. You don't know the Lord anymore. I remember working through that, again, with our kids. You know, after they made a profession of faith, and then they did something wrong, and I remember the first time it happened, that little prayer, God, will you please save me again? I want to go to heaven. And it was like that moment, I was like, oh, we, I have some theological things I need to cover here <laughs> um, to, help him, uh, to help him understand. That nobody, this, this doesn't mean that God threw you out of heaven. This doesn't mean that, that God doesn't want you as his child anymore. But it does mean that you have hindered, you have blocked that relationship with God. You have not made it what it could be because of your sin. I've heard many a pastor say it this way. You know, we keep, in a, in a matter of speaking, we keep short sin accounts with God. They need, our children need to know how to ask the Lord to convict them of sin and ask for his Holy Spirit to give them victory over their sin. 
What they need to learn is godly dependence. And if our children do not know the Lord and we're disciplining them for sin, that is an excellent opportunity to reinforce the gospel. And so, here's what I would do. Rediscipline your children and you, you reinforce, you reiterate to them how much you love them. And, and, and things have, you know, subsided. Because there's sometimes, a lot of times there's tears involved and, and those sorts of things. But you get a hold of yourself. You, I would have your children pray out loud asking for God's forgiveness for their sin. And whether they've accepted Christ or not, um, they need to understand that, that sin means we, we ask forgiveness. We don't just say sorry. Saying sorry is just, well, I'm sorry it made you feel that way or, or this or that. That's, that's just an excuse. Especially if they've, asked, if they've, if they've um, trusted Christ, they need, to, they need to ask God to forgive them and ask specifically that, that, that his Holy Spirit would give them the, the power to do what is right. They would learn to lean and depend on him. Now, whether they know the Lord or not, I also highly recommend that after your child prays, you pray out loud for your child. You ask God to help them to do what is right. You ask God, if they don't know the Lord, to show them their need of a Savior. And then, while you're doing it, pray for yourself, asking God to help you raise them in the things of the Lord. Guess what you're communicating to that child? That I need God too. We're really quick to say, you need God. You need to depend on him. Yeah, I do too. We lead by example. And we show them, we're instructing our children in what is most important. Following the Lord, confessing sin, and depending on him. And if you sit here and say, wow, that sounds like it takes some time. It does. It does. It takes time to work through those things. It takes time to biblically approach these things. But it's worth it. And lastly here, when we instruct our children in the ways of the Lord, I would say do not be afraid from time to time to take the opportunity to teach about God's grace and mercy. And here's how I would recommend that. From time to time, I think it's appropriate to withhold the, the consequence from our children, but instead giving them a lesson on grace and mercy. Now, let me qualify this, okay? This is not looking across at your child and saying, I should discipline you, but I don't feel like it. So, grace and mercy. That's not grace and mercy, okay? That's inconvenience and anger again. That's not what we're talking about here. Instead, you, you, you sit down with the child, and, 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 incons- and, and inconsistent with what everything else you've done, you sit down with them, and you discuss that with them, what they did wrong, what they should have done. You walk them through all of this, asking forgiveness, and while you're doing it, you teach them about how God, in his grace, doesn't always give us what we deserve, but his mercy 
I'm sorry, in his mercy, he doesn't always give us what he's deserving. In his grace, he gives us that we do not deserve. I think it's appropriate to do that from time to time with our children. Teach them that God is a gracious and merciful God. You do everything else you would have done, but maybe you withhold the consequences. Because God doesn't always judge our sin right away. Do you understand that? You understand that if you came to know the Lord as your Savior, it's because God had mercy and grace on your life. Right? Because if God immediately judged, and we're talking about judge, I'm not talking about just giving consequence, but judged us for our sin the moment it happened, how many of us would sit here in this room tonight? I wouldn't be here. And I dare say you wouldn't be here either. And so it's appropriate to teach our children these things from time to time. Again, if you're going to do this, you have to be extremely purposeful about this. You have to, 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 to teach our children, yes, about God's grace and mercy, but don't teach them how to presume on God's grace and mercy, but how to be thankful for it. And all of these things in discipline and instruction are, are Paul says, bring them up in the training or the discipline and admonition, what? Of the, of the Lord. For that's our focus. That's our last thing tonight. In all of this, we need a godly focus. At the center of all parenting efforts is God. That's been, God's, that's been Paul's focus all throughout the passage. These are God's expectations. He is the one we follow. He is the one we obey in these things. So here's something to remember. Our homes must not center on our children, on us, or on any other temporary pursuit. Our homes are called to center on God his word, and our obedience to him. That is what our homes are to center on. Everything else gets funneled through that. And very, very, very practically, that means that there are sometimes things that, that our families might like to do or want to do, but we make a choice not to do because we're, we're following God. Can I just give you a practical example how this works out? Again, in, in the lives of of a husband and a wife and four kids. Um, our kids love to play baseball. Uh, we play t-ball, we play baseball, I coach. Um, that's one of the things we love about living in Beaverton is, is being a part of the local rec league. Um, Caleb's team last year uh, played games on Wednesday nights. Well, our family goes to church on Wednesday nights. And so, you know, do we storm into the league office and say, you know, you got to move this, da 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 we got to, no. You know what we said? Hey, we just don't play on Wednesday nights. And that's okay. Everybody else can go play ball on Wednesday nights, and that's okay. But we said, hey, it's important for our family to be in church on Wednesday nights. And before you roll your eyes and say, yeah, you're the pastor, okay? (laughs) That's a decision that that we would have made. I'm just going to tell you, and again, I'm not holding myself as an example. I'm just telling you, that's, that's how we view life. We look at what God says, and God says to be a part of the part of his body, so we're going to be there. Now, from time to time, I understand there are things that come up in our lives that we have to do. There are things that come up we have to deal with. I've run into many people over my life who have no choice, they have no other option, but they have to go to work on Sunday because that's how they make their livelihood and that's their schedule. And I always say the same thing. I always try to show, we always try to show them grace, right? I understand. Hey, you're taking care of your family, you're taking care of responsibilities, this, that, and the other. 
But there are some optional things in our lives that we choose to do over the things of God. And as our, our family grows, those pressures begin to mount even more because now you have even more people in your life with even more schedules, right? Um, some of you in here know what that's like. You know, it was busy enough with, with just you and your husband or you and your wife, and then you start adding kids to the mix, and it's, there's, there's just crazy busy all the time. But our homes have to center on God. And everything else in life flows from this. And when we do that, we teach our children how to be followers of him. We teach our children that it is not wrong to enjoy the world that God has given us to enjoy, to engage in the things that God has, told us to, has given to us to engage in, but to understand that everything else is submissive to the calling of God on our lives. Moses, before they went into the promised land, gave this admonition to the Israelites. This is one of, if you don't get anything else out of this tonight, write this passage down and go back and study it as a parent. This is a key passage. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 6 through 9. And these words, which I command you today, shall be in your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children, and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gate. The focus of your home must become God and the things of God. If you are going to raise godly children, and if you are going to see God work through your life as a parent, then you have to make a commitment to being a godly person. That is the long and short of it. The things of God must become non-negotiables in your home. There are a lot of things in this world that are optional. There are a lot of things in this world that are optional. But I just tell you right now, God isn't optional if you're going to raise godly kids. And I would just caution you, please don't fall into this trap. Well, I don't really want my kids, I don't want my kids to hate church or the Bible or Christianity, so I just don't make them do any of that stuff. I'm just going to tell you right now, if that's your mindset, prepare yourself for heartache and headache and endless battles as a parent. There are a lot of things that our kids don't like, but we teach them how to do them anyway. I have not met very many children who like all vegetables, but we teach them how to eat them anyway. I have one weird child who likes vegetables. Did I say weird? Uh, Lovely child who likes vegetables. Most kids don't like going to school, but we teach them the value of it anyway. There's a lot of things that you could not make your kids do because you feel like they won't like it, but you do it anyway. Because, hey, this is what you need. There's value here. Let me show you the value of this. But so often, we give our kids a pass on spiritual things. And I I thought about this this week. Why do we do that? Why do I do that in my life? Why do I give my kids a pass on things that, that are eternally significant? And I think it's because 
we take a pass for ourselves. We don't read our Bibles like we should. We don't view and treat church the way God calls us to view and treat it. We don't pray. We don't biblically work through problems. We don't seek God's wisdom. And so, if we're going to teach our kids how to do that, well, that would make me a hypocrite. And you know what? You're right. So do something about it. Follow God. Submit to him. Stand up and say, we're going to do what's right. We're going to make a commitment to following God. And yes, it's going to be hard. And yes, we're going to fail. And yes, we're going to struggle. But it's worth it. Because following God is always worth it. That's why we must set a personal and familial focus on the Lord. And if you will do this, you will set before your children a path of right thinking and right living. You will give them the tools they need to serve God successfully for the rest of their lives. And yes, they are going to have to make a decision. Are you going to serve God or are they not? But you need to hand them the tools to make that decision. You hand them the the basis, the foundation on which they make that decision. And when they look at the foundation that you have given them, are they going to be able to look at it and say, Mom and dad did what was right. Mom and dad weren't perfect. Mom and dad didn't always get it right, but they consistently sought to do the right thing. Or do we have a foundation that says, well, mom and dad said serving God was good, but most of the time we did this, or a lot of times we did that, or a lot of times we did this. Godly parenting requires submission to the Lord and actively evaluating my parental activities in the light of his word. Our homes are the training grounds for life. What goes on within the walls of your home has great ramifications on what will take place in the lives of your children when they are adults. And what Paul speaks of here is the process of discipleship of our children. You as a parent are the primary discipler of your children. Okay, and listen. Okay, parents, listen here. I know they don't always listen. And I know they don't always obey. I know they struggle. And I know that sometimes it seems like it will never end. Have you ever felt that way? But this is our great and wonderful calling from God. Encourage your heart with this truth. God has chosen you as a parent to evangelize and disciple the young hearts in your home. This is both a wonderful and challenging truth. If you want to see your children begin to grow and develop godly habits and become those who serve God, then you have to prioritize the things of God. And I would say this. If you opt out of the things of God in your life, prepare to be followed. One of the things we always talk about with kids is they love to mimic their parents, right? And oftentimes we think of that with with young children. Um, I have kids who, who love to do things that I do. I remember, again, when Caleb was... One, one and a half, 
I have this great picture of him um, in the nursery at church. And they had these short little tables. And he was sitting in a seat with his feet propped up on the table, drinking his juice cup and eating a snack. All the nursery workers said the same thing. You know, he learned that from his mom. No, they didn't say that. You know, they said, oh, he learned that from dad. You know, and I'm like, yeah, if you walk in my office and I'm talking on the phone, guess what? <laughs> that's what it looks like, right? Um, and, it, and, and that's the thing. We often think of with little kids. They love to mimic. But you know, as our kids grow, they continue those patterns. They continue to do what dad always did, what mom always did. What, because they begin to, to really understand what's going on and they begin to see the patterns that develop. It doesn't stop when they become teens. It many times becomes greater in the areas of their lives. So we need to take up godliness and live it out and call our children to do the same. Father, we thank you for your word and its power to change our lives. We thank you for the instruction, the very clear instruction you give to us on how we are to raise our children, the expectation of discipline and instruction. And Lord, if we're honest, we have struggles. We have specific areas that we know those are holes. We got to work on that. Because of busyness, because of worldliness, because of whatever, Lord, we don't address it like we should. And we ask tonight you convict our hearts. We ask that you would help us to be humble. Help us to bow before you. To open our hearts and lives and ask you to teach us, to mold us, to make us. To break down that which we have done wrong. And by your power and your grace, help us to put on that which is right. Lord, if that means we've got to sit down and have a family meeting tonight to address some of these things and the way forward. We pray you'd help us to have the courage and the boldness and the grace to do so. Lord, we pray that you would teach us, show us that as parents, as grandparents, we have a great and wonderful privilege to have an impact in the next generation for you. Help us to take those things seriously and to take our own walk with you seriously above all else. We ask that you would give us a wonderful week. Help us to honor you and serve you. In your name we pray. Amen.